like how the hell do you find time to do all these things? <laughs> like, <laughs> I seriously. have no idea. <laughs> and I, I still sleep about seven hours a night. Jeez, man. I don't know. What's your secret? <laughs> oh, I don't have kids. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's uh, no. I that's probably like the honest truth. That that's like the, the the deciding factor, man. Like that's yeah. Oh my gosh. Here, here's 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 my secret. Katie goes to bed early. Okay. <laughs> I, I wake up early, so oh, there you go. yeah. I I, I, sp- I spend also. a lot of time. I, I give myself a, enough of time by myself to do mm-hmm. some of the projects and stuff. That like, sure, no one sure. really gets to see me spending like do putting time into them because like yeah, yeah. I'll finish we'll finish this conversation and then I'll spend the next hour or so editing it and then I'll post it online so that people will listen to it first thing in the morning literally oh, literally tomorrow morning and <laughs> no one will see that work and That's crazy I'll still get sleep then it'll be fine right on man then I'll get up and go to work tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Another day. Another day. Look in the yellow way, the math is complicated. Behind the illuminating screens. Well, these are dire times. You've got people minds. The fucking two of them. Hello and welcome to the Edupunks podcast. This is your host, Craig Biedemann. I'm really excited about today's conversation with Xavier Pastrano. Uh, he is the lead singer and bassist of the band Skin of Our Teeth, and he's also a high school English teacher in South Dakota. Yeah, it's an amazing conversation we get into about being mixed race, about being a blue liberal human being in the middle of a big red state and what it's like teaching poetry and English to some students who sometimes just don't care. And as a former high school teacher, I've experienced that apathy firsthand. So it's exciting to get to have this conversation with someone who kind of gets the struggle that I've experienced with back in the day when I taught high school. Before we get to the conversation, I want to Thank everyone who gave Katie and I feedback on last week's episode where Katie chatted with their student on AL Saeed. We've gotten a lot of messages on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, just like folks being stoked that we brought in a student perspective and people really appreciating on AL's perspective uh, in that conversation with Katie. I'm really glad that Katie feels a, a lot of confidence after that response so that we can Uh, continue bringing you more different types of conversations. Katie's going to continue producing some on their own and we'll see where it goes. I want to give a quick plug for our social media. Go to uh, at edupunkspod on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So you can get a whole bunch of behind the scenes stuff and uh, extra links and whatnot. Uh, And if you are on the Apple podcast app, just like thumb up, from the, the the screen that shows you what you're listening to and just go down and like give us some stars and maybe even like write a quick review. It's so easy with the new iOS update to leave reviews on podcasts. It just it would be so helpful uh, to get 
some more visibility if you wrote a little, hey, Craig's doing a pretty good job, or hey, Craig could do better, two stars, uh, whatever. Uh, any of that and all of that helps. But for now, I want to get into this conversation with Xavier Pastrano. So here we go. You'll hear my uh, announcer voice kick in. All right. So I'm sitting here digitally with my buddy Xavier Pastrano. Hello, hello. Is that how you pronounce Pastrano? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. Yep. Nice. I'm doing pretty good with pronouncing <laughs> people's names lately. I'm pretty happy. Nailed it. Yep. Crushed it. Uh, how you doing tonight? I'm doing well. I'm feeling really good. Yeah. 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 It's you know Monday, but the day went well, and students have been taught, and yeah, I'm just kind of mellow, mellowing right now. <laughs> <laughs> I like that that you put that emphasis. Students have been taught. <laughs> students have been taught. I yes, have, indeed. They I are. have made my presence known. <laughs> <laughs> right? I left my mark, and then I left. The knowledge <laughs> has been gifted upon them. Exactly. <laughs> Drop some truth bombs and then come home and have some kombucha and chill. <laughs> there you go. That's awesome. All right, Xavier, I wanted you on because you work in a realm of education I have not touched on yet on this podcast. Mm. It's a realm of which I have experience in having been a high school teacher in the past. But I want folks to know a little bit about you first. So can you tell folks a little about who you are, what you do, where you come from, where you are? I don't know. Totally. Heck yeah. (laughs) My story. Um, Yeah. yeah, So um, I currently live in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Um, And uh, you can't tell by that wonderful accent. Right. I know. Which is so funny because I feel like I'm like very self-conscious of it now. Like the first time we talked, you're like, oh, that Midwestern accent. I was like, damn it. Like I was trying so hard like to talk straight, but it comes through. Um, <laughs> Don't worry the, about it. The, the long, the long O's, the no. Uh, um, I mean, again, Katie Ham is yeah. <laughs> my best friend and partner and they're from Wisconsin. So it comes mm-hmm. out. <laughs> she knows what's up. Uh, but yeah, so I, I moved to, um, to Sioux Falls back in 96 and pretty much lived here my entire life. So I, I kind of call this home, but um, was raised by a single mother. Um, and so it was kind of an interesting situation because like my, I came, I come from a biracial family. So my dad is from the Dominican, but raised in Puerto Rico. And my mom, uh, was from Iowa. <laughs> so they met in college, um, got divorced when I was five. And then, uh, I, so I come from a, from a household with, a um, a strong, strong single mom, strong woman figure in my life. And, um, so yeah, I went through, my mom uh, worked her butt off at a dentist office, put me through private school um, once I graduated, I decided to go to uh, Southwest Minnesota State University in Marshall, Minnesota, and um, was originally wanting to go in for graphic design, but heard that the uh, the industry was just really hard to get into. And so I did theater and stuff in high school, and I thought, well, I'll just kind of switch over that for a little bit, but couldn't really see myself um, doing that for like a living. It was more of like a hobby. And then I remember I took my um, first writer's workshop class, I think it was my sophomore year of college, and it just clicked. Um, really got invested and interested in writing, um, specifically poetry. And so that just kind of took off. And so upon um, like graduation, I remember talking to my advisor and uh, this amazing woman, professor and writer, her name is Judy Wilson. And um, she's from uh, Georgia, I think. So she has a really like, thick like Southern accent. And um, I remember talking to her and I was like, okay, so I'm graduating with this degree in creative writing. She's like, yeah. And I'm like, so 
what should I do with this? <laughs> like, I was just kind of like at a loss. Uh, and so, yeah, so she said, yeah, yeah, it's just, you know, and what was funny too is the whole time I was like, well, I'm not going to do theater because, well, what am I going to do with that? And then I get to this point, I'm like, what the hell am I going to do with my life? <laughs> um, and so she said, uh, you know, she's like, I see, I see really great potential in you to be a teacher. And I think that you should go on to graduate school um, and eventually become like a professor or just, just teach. And I was like, okay. So I kind of thought about that and was like, yeah, I think I could maybe swing that like that. I, I do like, you know, leading discussions in class and the times that I had to, um, you know, teach the class or whatever uh, over like a given unit. Like I enjoyed that. So that's what I did. I, went, I enrolled um, at the University of North Dakota in Grand Forks and uh, spent three years there working on my um, master's of English. Uh, I got to teach in Norway for a semester when I was there, too. So that was super rad. Hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, how which is crazy. Your, how did that impact your metal? Oh yeah. Well, that was the thing. I was like, I was, I really got into like the post rock stuff when I was there. Um, and it's huge I was, over there. It is. Yes, very much so. And, um, at the time I hadn't really like, I liked metal, but hadn't really dabbled into like the harder stuff. Um, oddly enough, it wasn't until like a couple, like several years later when I got into that. But, um, I remember being, I was walking in downtown Oslo and I saw several people with these like black tote bags and, I was like, it, they, they just looked like, you know, like the metal type. And I was like, oh, like, okay, one of these people are going. And I saw more and more people just like, look, like, you know, they looked the same. They're carrying these black tote bags and finally got close enough. And I saw, and it was like, there was some black metal festival or like a um, black metal convention going on in Oslo. I was like, where the hell is this happening? Like, I need to go, but I never found it. So I was like, Jeez. kind of upset. But, um, but yeah, so while I was there I, in, in Oslo, I did a lot of like, you know, record shopping and it was an amazing place, but um, but yeah, so I did that, graduated from UND and then, um, moved back to Sioux Falls and, uh, got married and then began my master's of education in teaching. Um, and the whole reason for that was like, I was, upon graduating from UND, so I had my master's of English and I was just like, you know, I want to be a teacher and, um, and I was hoping to work, you know, post-secondary, but I couldn't find anything like specifically in the area. Like, you know, I had my fiance and I at the time were, you know, we're in Sioux Falls and, our families were here, so I was looking for stuff in the area, but nothing was coming up. And so I thought to myself, well, I don't really want to teach high school, but if I have to for a while, I can certainly do that. So I started looking at some of the high schools here and then found out the harsh reality. Um, they're like, oh, you have a master's of English? I'm like, yeah. They're like, well, do you have an education degree? I was like, no, I just, you know, I have a master's of English. I'm like, oh, well, in order to teach secondary education, you need to have an education degree. I was like, are you kidding me? And they're like, they're like no, that's, yeah, you need an education degree. So I was like, well, like I'm not going to go back to you know get like a four-year undergraduate degree in teaching. So I was looking around, and um, the University of Sioux Falls had a two-year graduate program. So it was a master's of education in teaching, and it was um, like a fall, spring, summer, fall, spring program. So I was like, well, hell, I can do that. And it was I saved up enough money teaching at UND to pay for it out of pocket. So um, nice. I did that, yeah, which was super nice. So I did that, and... Uh, Graduated from there in 2013, and then the day that I um, gave like my final like presentation, like my portfolio presentation, I had just a couple days before applied for a job at Southeast Tech, um, which is a technical school here in Sioux Falls. And uh, the day that I like got like the the go ahead that I was going to graduate, I got a call from Southeast Tech and they offered me a job. <laughs> mm. So I was like, hell yeah! So there nice. was like, I mean, we had not a lot of downtime. So so I taught um, college composition at. Uh, a technical school for three years and then have now just this is my second year now teaching full-time um secondary education teaching high school students so i teach freshmen and sophomores so. dang 
Um, yeah. What made you want to make the jump over to teaching high school? And was it a uh, good move? <laughs> <laughs> it was an interesting move. Uh, it was kind of unintentional, actually. Um, the tech school I was teaching at uh, got itself into a little financial bind. Um, and they were Classic. talking about, yes, they were talking about just, just a bad financial plan. They were talking about how layoffs were going to be imminent. Um, and so since it's a tech school, I was part of the gen ed department and we are, are basically like hired by like the board of regents. So we work through like the main universities, like the state universities. So our jobs were kind of on the chopping block, um, because essentially if the schools wanted to save money, they could just get rid of us. And then these universities could bring in their own teachers to teach these classes. Um, at the time, my wife was a stay-at-home mom, and so we just had, you know, my income, and so I needed a backup plan. So long story short, I applied for this teaching job at the high school I went to high school at um, and got the job, and they needed an answer like, right away, but I hadn't heard if I was, you know, safe or cut at Southeast Tech, so I'm not one to gamble. So I took the job, signed the contract, and then the next day I got an email saying that everybody was safe at Southeast. So I was like, well, <laughs> I signed the contract for a year. I'm kind of locked in. So that's kind of like, that's how I, I got into secondary education was this kind of crazy little scenario. So <laughs> Well, you took a little bit of a risk and it paid off. I did. I did. Yeah. Yeah. Ultimately. It's been great. Like, yeah. Yep. It's been amazing. It was, uh, you know, there, there are some things, some drawbacks, um, they have, you know, I'm still kind of like rebounding from like this one. And I think, I mean, if anybody, I'm assuming that a lot of educators, you know, who listen to this have already, or maybe you don't know this, but like South Dakota is the one of, if not the worst state for teacher pay. <laughs> um, oh. We, we are, no, like we are, I think we are like either like 50 or like 49. Like it's, it's really bad. Um, oh, that's why there are a lot of teachers who will, um, like who live like teachers who like live in South Dakota, um, they'll get the degrees. And then if they live like near the border, like this sounds awful, but they will um, get teaching jobs like in small rural Minnesota towns because the pay is like exponentially better over there. Oh, I, I, I bet. That, yeah. So that, it's, well, I, I think uh, Katie's sister um, did something similar, but got, but works in Wisconsin and gets, way better pay uh i think just living outside of madison but working sure. inside of Ma like living sure. outside of madison but working in madison yeah yeah and it's like, it's crazy we get, so. we get paid really well working at colleges in boston but we live in quincy and it's a lot cheaper to live here oh so, yeah totally yeah yeah so it's it's one of those things like teaching um i will say this like teaching post-secondary the pay is much better um so i took a significant pay cut um, well, be, well, and I guess the main reason was like, I, I went from post-secondary to a private school and like the private schools, like the pay is just, it's not, it's not super great. So, um, right now I'm teaching back at a public school, um, which, so like the pay scale is the same as the, as the post-secondary institute I was working at. Um, you just move up a little differently. So now I'm, I'm like, my wife and I are basically just like, after like a really rough year, like a financially rough year, we are like kind of like rebounding back now. So Nice. Yeah, we yeah. kind of we 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 went through one of those phases. It was mostly when I was like, you know, job searching and stuff. But sure, yeah. it eventually, eventually fixed itself a little bit, which was good. Right on. Yeah, yeah. And it's it, just I mean, you know, it's like shit just gets scary for a while. <laughs> well, yeah, and especially like if you if you if you if you came up poor, like we did, mm, like we mm -hmm. came up poor, yeah. so we were used to it. Like we know how to we know how to be poor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Which my friends who've had 
like never really had to like worry about money and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I always feel a little bit of a uh bit a little bit of a pr- of pride when I know that like if something were to go bad in life, like I mm-hmm. I've handled worse. <laughs> you can deal. <laughs> yeah. Like I've yeah. had worse, yo. Yeah, yep, exactly. Like you know, yeah, you kind of go into this like overdrive. Like you you know like how to assess and like take care of the situation. It's I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you kind of recognize like, hey, I mean, I've had no money in my life and it wasn't the end of the world. It's not going to be the end of the world now. Exactly. Um, <clears throat> now, uh, I was a high school teacher for a couple of years mm-hmm. and I struggled with many aspects of it, <laughs> um, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> namely working with parents. Um, oh, yeah. I kind of just struggled um, because I was one of those teachers who liked to push students to think outside of their reality and I was working in a pretty conservative sure um, yeah school district uh do you find similar struggles uh where you are in the country <laughs> sure uh yeah yeah Good being a, uh, from what I know about you a very blue dot in your red state <laughs> yes yeah it's um it's interesting I will say like like right now, so okay, so yeah, I, I taught at the um, at a Catholic school um, prior to where I'm teaching at right now, and that was that was a, a huge adjustment for me. Um, you know, I, I grew up Catholic, um, but I'm I wouldn't classify myself as Catholic anymore. Um, went through a pretty pretty drastic spiritual shift the last couple of years. Um, but um, the one thing, like as an educator, like one thing that I found really frustrating about just working like in a Catholic school environment was um, the, like how much the church kind of governs the educational content. So like for me, like there are, there are real, real world issues that are, um, incredibly pressing, very important. And, you know, these are these, these kids, I think are sometimes people underestimate them, you know, it's like, they'll, they think, oh, they're, you know, 14, like, what can they know? It's like, they know a lot. They're not dumb. You know, like they hear what mom and dad are talking about. They're, you know, they're constantly connected to, you know, whatever kind of like social media outlet they're using. So they're well aware of what's going on. And in my, my thought is that a school is or should be an incredibly safe place to, to discuss those hard issues. And some of my students, although they wanted to discuss those issues in the school environment, they were not allowed to, or I was not allowed to teach it to them or, or allow them to talk about it because certain ideals would conflict with like Catholic school teaching. Like, for example, I had, um, uh, I was teaching a speech class at the school and, um, we're doing panel discussions. And so there's like a group of like six students. Um, one person acts as the moderator and then everybody else kind of sits around and they discuss the topic at hand. And there were, they, this particular group wanted to talk about, um, like LGBTQ rights. And so I was like, okay. And this was like last year. Um, and it's been an important issue, but at, at that point in time, there was a lot of stuff, especially in South Dakota, um, that was that definitely revolved around this this topic. And in my head, I'm thinking like, yes, like this this is currently these laws are currently affecting our state right now, and these kids are aware of that and they want to talk about it. And so I was like, well, let me just double check the administration, just kind of see what's up. And sure enough, it was like, no, like they can't, we can't talk about that. And I'm like, well. And I wasn't trying to push buttons, but I was like, I'm just curious as to, like, why, like, just so I know in the future why we can't do this. And essentially it was, you know, yeah, there were students who were against um, 
certain members of the LGBTQ community having certain rights, which is expected, I guess, in that environment. It's a very conservative school. But there were students who were very um, pro-LGBTQ. And, and and I can't, you know, like, I have to play devil's advocate, but, like, in, internally, like, these students were like, well, I think these people, I think everybody should have rights, blah, blah, blah. And inside, I'm like, yes, 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 you know? But, but um, what, ha- what ended up happening was that they would say that, you know, students, like, the students who are for this particular topic, they would be utilizing school resources and school time to further investigate a side of a topic that goes against Catholic Church. So I was like, wow, like, okay, so that's yeah. very limiting. And I thought that was frustrating because I feel like we're only teaching these students, like, one side of an argument, you know? Like, are we truly preparing them for the reality that's existing outside of these doors? Um, and so that was hard for me, really hard for me to get around. Um, but now at this this public school I'm teaching at, um, I don't, you know, like, I don't get that. I know that there are still, like, conservative families and students who are, you know, very conservative um, but there's no real like limitation, I guess. Um, I can't, you know, personally divulge like my, you know, personal beliefs and political affiliations and stuff like that. But the, um, the atmosphere is definitely much more open for discussion. Um, and I, I've never had any issues with like, you know, parent teacher conferences yet. I should okay. say, um, I am a pretty, I mean, I'm, I'm a, yeah, like, <laughs> I would get to consider, like, progressive or whatever. I mean, these words now, it's like, you know, who knows, yeah. but, like, um, but, you know, it's like, I try, I just, I don't know. It's like I try to blanket things or, like, or, like, kind of hide, like, meanings, but, like, when I was teaching at that Catholic school, um, you know, I was teaching this book, Black Like Me, and my goal was, like, I wasn't trying to, you know, people can say what they want, and I'm sure some people, if they heard my lessons and stuff like that, they'd be like, oh, you're trying to make these kids sympathize with Black Lives Matter and blah, 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 and all that stuff. But I'm like, y'all, like, at the end of the day, it was all about getting these kids to think outside of their own personal experiences. And as cliche as it sounds, like, try to see things from somebody else who is living a completely different life. Well, and likely you being a good influence of that I imagine. yeah well yeah and that was the thing too is like you know and i i that's one thing that was i was really nice that i was able to kind of bring in that perspective that you know like they they don't at that particular school it's it's not super diverse i mean when i went to school there i was like i mean there's a reason why when i was there we did the musical big rivers because i was like the only like you know black kid who could sing and dance it's like hey we better do the we better do the huck we better do the huck finn musical because we have one kid here who can do this Um, oh boy (laughs) and and yeah yeah but now it's it's much more diverse than what it has been but it's still like you know these kids are they're you know they're privileged like they a lot of the kids there even even the um uh, the ones with the more diverse background and stuff. It's and so ultimately, again, I was just like, you know, let's let's put things into perspective here. And so before I started that unit, um, I told them the story of um, was it Emmett Till, Emmett Till, mm-hmm. um, the fourteen-year-old boy, yeah, who was mm-hmm. murdered. Um, and you know, just trying to like draw parallels between like what would happen then if you whistled at somebody compared to what would happen now if you did. And um, telling them that story, like, I, the, I, I was, like, in my head, I'm like, this is going to be a great, like, great lesson because this is really going to open their eyes. And as I was telling it, like, I think initially I was like, oh, shit, I've gone too far. Because these kids, like, their eyes were just, like, saucers. And they're like, what? 
like they beat him and disfigured him. I'm like, yeah, like he, I mean, he was like unrecognizable. But his mother wanted him, you know, wanted them, wanted him to have a um, an open casket funeral so like people could see just, you know, so people could see what, um, you know, what what, what racism looks like basically. And uh, that was a huge eye opener. But what was awesome is that at the end of the year, when I did my little survey, um, I would say like ninety percent of the students said their favorite unit was Black Like Me, and they hey, learned a lot. So, so I was like, all right, you. like <laughs> trying. Um, but yeah, so there's just much more diversity now at this public school, which I like, and I'm, I feel much more comfortable. So. We're going to take a quick break from this conversation with Xavier to bring you a quick ad. Uh, since Xavier and I are talking about the creativity of some of our students throughout this episode and how our students have kind of impressed us throughout the years, uh, I know we get into that a little bit in this next segment. I want to hype some of the work of one of my former students once again. If you need any sort of design work done, check out the work by my buddy and former student, Nevin Doyle. He's one of the best up-and-coming graphic designers and artists today. Visit his site, mishko.co, M-I-S-H-K-O.co, to check out his artwork, videos, and music. You can commission him to create artwork or video for your band, brand, company, program, and or office. Anything. He'll create some stuff. He's really getting into making uh, really cool uh, digital video and uh, all sorts of fantastical layouts and design work, especially for bands album art. Um, he did Pray for Sounds new album. He did the new This Patch of Sky Nova Collective. He's also doing a bunch of merch for a bunch of bands that if you're going to gigs, you're likely buying a shirt that he designed. Uh, he's doing a lot of great stuff, and if you want. Nevin, to make some stuff for you, uh, go to mishko.co. That's once again, M-I-S-H-K-O dot C-O. Mishko.co. Now let's get back to this conversation. All right. So you make some badass tunes with your band, Skin of Our Teeth. <laughs> like, Thank you. <laughs> it is some heavy stuff. And um, yeah. we're playing it throughout this episode how did this band come together how long have you been doing it what what does this band give you totally um music has always been i mean again this is going to sound kind of trite but like it's always been um an important factor in my life uh i mean even from you know like like middle school to like high school like i was always involved in music um playing and you know i've been playing bass since like what like seventh grade eighth grade something like that um, so yeah, music has always been around. So it's, that's one thing that'll never go away. And like my wife, like she's been super supportive about that. Like she, she knows like how important it is for me. Um, how like even like cathartic of an, ex- of an experience it is like just to like write music, um, as far as like a way to kind of like help me process some of the, you know, especially like, with this new band, like a lot of our songs are, are it's, it's me like working out some of the crazy shit that I'm seeing like in the world and like trying to process it and like contain it in a certain way. Um, to make things a little more manageable for me, I guess, like mentally and like personally. So it's, um, it's been awesome to have her support with that. So it is, it's, it's, um, a release for me, you know, it's like, yeah, I'm a dad, I'm a husband, I'm a teacher, but I need to have that one, um, outlet. And for me, it's music. Um, 
as far as skin of our teeth goes, it was something that it's been about like a year and a half now, maybe almost two years, I think, since we started. Oh, yeah, about two years now. Um, and it's funny, like it, it, it originally was just my bandmate and I, um, we were, I think, wanting to try and do like a two piece thing. Um, but originally the idea was that it was going to be like a very, um, like lo-fi, like dark wave kind of group. Okay. Um, so, so like think, you know, like, like in the vein of like heavens, um, uh, like Matt Skiba's side project Mm -hmm. or like, um, she wants revenge. Oh yeah. Cold beat, like cold beat, like very much like that. So like a lot of the songs were like really kind of like simplistic like electric guitar with like some like really fuzzed out distortion um yes 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 very like, like, like that kind of like synth like drum beat mumble jumbles yeah dude i want to uh, make a band like that <laughs> dude seriously so that was the thing like and, and so this was right before um right before i experienced my um kind of like nervous uh like breakdown like i had like an, a huge anxiety attack um shortly after this band kind of started uh my wife and i went to london and i've been dealing with anxiety for a while but i'd never talked about it and i didn't really know it was just like i've been feeling i've been feeling anxious um i've been suffering from depersonalization disorder so all of this at the time was like undiagnosed and um, just like throw that stuff to... out there whatever yeah yeah right so yeah <laughs> But, I so have these crippling like, issues, <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> so, like, so like I, I wanted a, a like, I needed a, a way to process all the thoughts, like all the emotions I was going through, and so I was like really listening to a lot of like that genre of music, and so I wanted to write stuff that was like, well, let's say like dark, but like kind of like kind of dark. Kind of, I mean, it was kind of stuff that was that was you know in my head. So I'm like, I want to do this band. Um, we went over to London and it was like, that's when we went to go see image and heap. Like we got to meet her and stuff. And that was rad. That was an amazing experience, but everything else about that trip totally sucked ass. It was awful. I had a panic attack on the platform of the underground. Mm. We missed going to like a ton of events and stuff like that. Um, and so I came back and finally like started seeing counselor, got the stuff diagnosed. And so then I was like, okay, I want to kind of get back into this music project um, but by then we were both, my bandmate and I were in other bands. Um, and so we thought, well, let's just put this in the back burner. So we put in the back burner and in that time where we had like things kind of like, you know, mellowed out and not really doing anything, I really got into stoner rock. And then I got to the point where I was like, I want to make music like this. Like this is the vein that I want. Like I, I was playing in a band that was like, like a alternative pop rock kind of outfit. And I was like, I'm kind of just. I, I'm done with like, the, the dancey pop rock kind of stuff. Like I want, I want like heavy chugga chugga, like just like, you know, find a riff that you can just like groove to. Like that's what I want. Um, and so then we got back together and we tried it out and basically we took all the songs, we kept the lyrics, but we completely rewrote all the music for all the hmm. songs that we had worked on. And oddly enough, like the songs, like the, the lyrical content really worked well with like the more stoner rock kind of elements and stuff, the really riff heavy stuff. So, um, it ended up just kind of snowballing from there. Like we played our first show, like in like November, I think. And then it's just kind of, yeah, gone on from there. We've had some awesome opportunities and just recorded our, our first album last July. Um, and now it's, we're releasing it. Uh, have, we have a, a date now for a CD release show on November 10th. On Friday. So. Dang. 
Yeah, holler. Folks are, <laughs> folks are getting to hear a little bit of it uh, early, I suppose. Consider it yeah. the, uh, the uh, not a premiere, but like a sneak peek. Yeah, yeah. So, like, we've, we've had it up, like, on our band camp. Um, we didn't really, like, announce it or anything, but, like, people who have, like, you know, we've kind of told about, like, oh, yeah. So it's kind of been making its rounds a little bit, but yeah. we're going to have, like, an official, yeah, like, a release show um, in November, so... That's sick, dude. Thanks, man. Yeah. Wish I could wish I could just like fly out and <laughs> be there and uh, rock Rebel the hell out. The I'll, 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 I'll put together a tour. I'll make it happen. I'll get out of Oh yeah, dude. <laughs> um so what's it like being the metalhead teacher? Oh, it's awesome. Because <laughs> I know I, I know it. you roll up with your like with your uh your your vest with all the patches, your jacket with all the patches. <laughs> yeah. You you yeah. shared pictures of that. I like that. What's it oh, like yeah. being the metalhead teacher? It's funny. Like I love it. Like it's 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 just you know I'm not. I've never been. Well, I guess when I when I hit thirty, and I've heard that this is like a thing. When you hit thirty, you just kind of enter this state of like don't give a fuck. <laughs> Yes, and I hit the, it and, early then because I'm about yeah, to turn thirty. Seriously, and it, <laughs> it's like I kid you not, Craig. Like it's such an incredible experience because once I hit thirty, I was like, I'm, I am like, this is who I am, and I love myself, goddamn it. And like, I'm not gonna try and like hide certain things about me to kind of like fit in and stuff. I mean, obviously, there's like a time and place for certain things, but it's like, I, I love metal. It's nothing to be ashamed of. Yes, I have a denim jacket that you know. I have like a sleep patch. I have Immortal. I have Church of Misery and the big Russian circles patch. But like that's who I am. Like that's the music I like. So yeah. I don't know. I'll wear it into school, and I don't like the teachers are great. Like they don't give me looks or anything. But the students, you know, like they'll see my coat hanging up. Like what the heck? Is like is that yours? I'm like yeah, this is the band I listen to, and um, and so it's cool. If anything, I think it it kind of like I, I think this is super important too as a teacher. But it kind of makes me seem more human. To my oh, students, if that sure. makes sense, you know, like, like they know that I have tattoos. They know that I like this kind of crazy music. They know I love Halloween, and they know that I'm kind of a nerd. But like, at the end of the day, I think it just makes them feel more comfortable, like in the classroom and stuff. Um, so that's fun, you know. And, and I, I, I mean, I listen to other stuff as well. But like, my heart, I definitely have a soft spot for metal, so it's cool. And then once in a while, I'll get a student who's like really kind of into that as well. And they'll approach me and be like, Mr. Pastrana, like, have you heard of this band? I'm like, oh, absolutely. And then, like, maybe we'll exchange some, like, you know, some music ideas and stuff. Aww. But, um, <laughs> I miss, yeah, I, that is one thing I miss about being a high school teacher was getting to, like, because, like, my, my students would walk into class and during the passing period, which is, like, five or six minutes or however long, sure. yep. I would always yep. put up a music video. And so, and every day I picked one and that's the one that every class got to see. And some students at the end of the video, I would see them like writing down the band name or at the end of the video, (laughs) I would go, so that was thrice with Stare at the Sun. That was a song that (laughs) got me through high school uh, Mm -hmm. when, when, when I was in high school back in 2003, 2004, like this song Mm -hmm. was really cool. If you like it, cool. And then like they would come up to me. Sometimes with like a burn CD or a blank yes. one, and they're like, "Mr. Biden, just just can you make me a playlist?" And I was like, "Yes, of course <laughs> <Absolutely>. I will." <laughs> it's and, cool. Like I've done that with with some of my students too. Like most recently with my sophomores, um, as like an exit ticket, I was like, "We're gonna, I'm gonna have you write an exit ticket." They're like, "Oh man,", man. I'm like take out a piece of paper. 
I want you to write down a band or an artist that you think I should listen to. And they just like freaked out. They were like so excited. Yes. And so like I collected them at the end and, and like I did, like I went through them and like I'm still currently in the process of like going through and listening to some of these artists that they're listening to. And, and some stuff I'm like, oh my, like, holy shit, like this is awesome. Like how did I not hear this before? And stuff, some, some stuff, you know, it's like I get to it. I'm just like, okay, yeah, that's not, that's not yeah. for me, but you know, but like, that's them and that's rad. Like it's cool. They're willing share that with me so well feel free to steal this unit uh i did you know poetry <laughs> i did poetry and music yeah and you probably do something similar i imagine but um i one of the things that i would do is i would show how well not just poetry but like storytelling in music so i mm-hmm. would share like law dispute songs and me without you songs and yeah. show them how you can mess with the form of music through us through telling a story and um one of the things that i really enjoy doing was sharing thrice with them and showing the uh, the the last song on each of the eps of the alchemy index because they're they're all shakespearean sonnets and So we went through and explored how to write sonnets, and then I showed them how Dustin Kinstrup wrote all these sonnets <laughs> and played them all the songs, and we like processed all that stuff together, and it was super cool. Um, totally, yeah, it's pretty. Sick. It is. It's so, especially like with with poetry. Like that's one thing I love teaching it because I I just I feel like I'm like kind of like the unorthodox teacher. It's like it's important to like talk about like the. Um, like the fundamentals, you know, and, and some of these, like you know, like the, the pioneers, the forefathers of of poetry and stuff. But that's for the most part, that's like all these kids get. And I made a joke about today, and I was serious, and like, like I wasn't, you know, trying to be like insensitive. But I'm like, a lot of the poetry that we're taught in schools is just it's by you know dead white guys. Yep. Like we need, we need, we need to, and singles for literature too. Like we need to branch out, and so I have no problem talking about it and kind of laying the framework there but we need to move beyond that and so i have absolutely no problem like bringing in you know crazy contemporary things to kind of help these get these kids like to understand that you know poetry like knows no bounds and that the stuff they just that it goes beyond whatever it is that they that they their their preconceived notions are you know um and yeah like I, i i try like one thing i did last year that that worked fairly well was like um, I did kind of like pull them earlier on in the year and ask them like, you know, who, like who are your favorite bands, or whatever. And one common, um, one common band was Twenty One Pilots. A lot of kids like Twenty One Pilots. Um, yeah, and I know that if, if uh, Jason from our, our Instagram community is listening to this, he's probably like gagging himself with a pitchfork right now. But then hate. there are a few folks from our Instagram. Yes. Uh, <laughs> That are just like, oh yes, yeah, let's talk more yeah. about like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And I was like, and I, you know, I like them. Like, I have a couple of the records and like saw them concert and stuff. And so I was like, okay, like this, like I can work with. And so, you know, again, these these freshmen I was teaching poetry to, I brought it up, and it's like it was like sheer agony to like, oh poetry. And then I had to explain that's like you know any like the artists that you listen to today use poetic skills poetic terminology they use they use poetic form to write these mm-hmm. songs and they're like you know they well first so it's like you know let's identify what these these tools are and then let's take a look at some contemporary work and see how they're using it and so the example i used was car radio by 21 pilots and we talked yeah. about how like the, the use of like metaphor 
for like car radio and like what's going on. And it was like, it's so funny. Cause like, for me, it's like, you know, as an, as an adult, I can read these lyrics and be like, Oh, okay. Yeah. There's something else going on here. But these kids, it's like something they've listened to over and over again. And then they find this like whole new side of it. And it was just like <laughs> their brains just like exploded. Like their eyes were just like, what? And then they really got into it. I was like, yes, like, Oh, so great getting them stoked for that so yeah yeah <laughs> i'm sure you have a lot of those moments though getting students stoked on things that they likely weren't going to get stoked on just yeah. from the the direction that you you the perspective you you bring mm-hmm. to them that's the one thing that i love about teaching high school students is that there's this like newness to them like they you can i mean by the time you i mean i, I love teaching college students as well um, sometimes it's like, you know, you, you can bring up a topic, but it's something they've heard before. And they're just, there's like, there's like that little like flicker of excitement is kind of gone sometimes, I guess. And with these freshmen and, and sophomores too, like, um, it's cool watching them like make those realizations. And when they, when it clicks and they see it, it's like, you can see it in their face. And then it's like, they've learned something new and like, they've just totally like blown themselves away and they're so excited about it. Like, I love that. Um, and two, like you said, like I love doing that with content that they would typically like not be interested in, um, yeah. because I feel like I mean, one, I feel fortunate enough to have had some freaking amazing teachers who did that for me. You know, they they took stuff that I just was not thrilled about, and they either gave a new, put a new spin to it that made it interesting, or they gave me an opportunity to creatively express myself. Um, while still like learning the content, but kind of doing things my way. And so I feel like every student should have that opportunity. You know, it's like, I would say like writing is only as boring as you make it out to be. You know, like I try to give my students creative control over topics. Um, reading, you know, reading only sucks if, you, if you're reading like the wrong books or you're reading it, you know, like you, it's just, or your definition of reading is kind of skewed. It's like I try to help them find ways to find, you know, like to, to, to find content and find books that they actually enjoy. And, um, yeah, it's just one of those things. Like, I'm very passionate about what I, you know, what I teach, and I, I think that kids can get excited about it too. So, it's wonderful to like bring that that topic to them and frame it in a way that they never expected you to view it that way. <laughs> Like yeah. when I the first time I asked students, like, so what do you guys think about Shakespeare? Mm-hmm. They'd be like, why? It's so boring. I don't care about Shakespeare. Why should we read Shakespeare? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, um, how many of you have seen 10 Things I Hate About You? <laughs> yes. And their their hands go up, and I'm like, that's based on Taming of the Shrew. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And then they're like, wait, what? What? I did I that like, I did that with um, my freshman, and, and we were talking about Shakespeare, and I said, <laughs> I said, how many people here have seen The Lion King? And they're like, you know, they all raise their hands. I'm like, you just basically watched an animated version of Hamlet. Yeah, and there like, you go. Wait, what? Yeah. No way. And then like, I draw, started drawing the parallels, and like, some of these kids were like shocked and surprised, and some like felt like very upset. They were like duped into enjoying some kind of like Shakespearean knockoff or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it was oh, yeah. too funny. It was crazy. When we read, when I had him read the Odyssey, mm-hmm. I was like, okay, now. How many of you are struggling through this? All right. I have an idea. An easier way to process some of this is maybe watch the movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Yeah. Because <laughs> <Yep. laughs> all of this stuff 
is out there already. Exactly. Like poetry is tight. (laughs) It is. And that's, I think that's the, that's part of it is like, they just kind of need that direction sometimes to find things to help them comprehend a little bit better. You know, Um, you, sorry, do you ever perform any sort of like poetry for your students or share any of your own writing? I, I have, I did. Um, I, so yeah, last year was my first year teaching poetry to like freshmen. And, um, and so what I did was like, I picked three poems, uh, to kind of, well, we did like terminology and stuff first, but then I picked three poems and we did like a little round table, um, discussion where we read the poem a couple of times, we dissected it and analyzed it and then tried to, you know, have like a large group discussion over meaning. And, um, I did two fairly well-known poems. Uh, and then I was like, I'm going to sneak in one of my own poems in here. <laughs> I'm going to say yeah. it's written by, by, uh, by like an anonymous writer that I just found like, you know, on a blog or something like that. And so I did. And, um, it was so funny because I was like, okay, this is going to be great. Cause it, and it's either going to like, and I mean, I wasn't concerned about like my feelings. It's like, you know, it's, it's whatever. It's my poetry. And these are like 14 year old kids. Like regardless, even if like an 80 year old person did like my poetry, it's like, whatever, you know? Um, and so I read it and I was like, okay, you know, so it's kind of, let's, let's kind of, you know, look at some of the, the language here. And some of the students were like, wow, like, so the poem is called Victims of Onway. Mm-hmm. And um, just, it's about, you know, like just, the the mentality of like being of, of just like the mentality of like slacktivism, you know, like changing mm-hmm. a Facebook profile picture or thoughts and prayers, you know, thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers, yeah, uh, <laughs> and um, and just settling for that. And so I kind of like you know I read this poem and it's more of like a spoken word kind of kind of uh, kind of pacing. And so I read it and they were like, whoa, like okay, like. Like, yeah, like, there's some, like, intense words in that. And I like, you know, I like the, the use of, like, alliteration, this and that. And some students were like, I don't know. Like, it just seemed a little too, like, too, like, up there for me, like, when one student said. Like, some of the language was, like, a little elevated. I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, and then... You're like, yeah, the- I am a pretentious prick. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. Right? Just watch me pontificate. I take this out <laughs> so I can solely just watch you squirm and try to pronounce these words. Um <laughs> But, and so, like, overall, they're like, yeah, it's kind of cool. And I was like, well, what if I told you that I wrote this poem? And, like, these kids were like, what? And some kids were like, I knew it. I totally guessed it. And then they were like, you wrote this? And I was like, yeah. And so then they're like, well, can you, like, can you, like, perform it for us? And I was like, sure. So, like, I did it. And they were, it was just cool, like, that they even, like, asked that. You know, I was like, totally. So I got up and I did it how I would typically do it, like, at a reading. Um And it was, and it was just fun. Like, at the end of the day, too, like, or at the end of, like, that unit, um, we had like a little like poetry reading, like yeah. in class. Like, I brought like a microphone, mic stand, all stuff, and um, I said, you know, if you want to read one of your own poems, you certainly can. Or if you want to read someone else's poem, like or poetry, you can certainly do that too. But just just to give you the experience to go up there and know what it feels like to read something in front of a group of people, and mm-hmm. I was super impressed that like a majority of each class, like a majority of students in each class, went up there to the microphone and read a poem in front of everybody. And it was awesome. It was so cool to see That's that. That's so, so great. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that makes all, me happy. all the feels. <laughs> all of them. Yeah, I got, I got to share some of my stuff with students and also some, some songs as well. And it's funny because it does, it's so ridiculous also how much some of this comes full circle because one of my former students um, – wound up make like making and producing the background music for my song bastard son. Oh yeah. I remember, I remember reading that. Yeah. Yeah. On farewell. And he was Mm -hmm. just a kid like not too long ago that I just saw in the the hallways. And now we worked (laughs) 
for about five months on one song wow and now we're making like a whole side project spoken word dude that is so awesome driven thing and that's a former student of mine isn't that crazy i love that yeah, it's obnoxious. <laughs> so cool. And one of my former students is making album artwork for this patch of sky, Pray for Sound. It's ridiculous. Wow. It's obnoxious. Dude, that's insane. <laughs> These kids are too talented sometimes. <laughs> All right, with that, we're going to take a quick music break so I can finally show you a full song from this new Skin of Our Teeth album. It is called Omnicide. And uh, like Xavier said, they're going to be releasing it on November 10th. Very excited for that. I've been going through it and it is just all over the place. It's really ridiculous to think that it's literally just a bassist and a drummer making all of this noise. And when you hear it, you're going to be like, well, what the hell? How is that possible? But they're making it work. Two man bands working out. Uh, and uh, I'm going to be playing you a song called Riding with the Witch off of the new uh, Skin of Our Teeth uh, album called Omnicide. So here we go. Oh, no. 
that was Riding with the Witch by Skin of Our Teeth. If you like what you heard, go to skinofourteeth.bandcamp.com. Buy yourself a digital copy or a CD right now. Get it while it's hot. The band is going to be doing some kick-ass things. Now, let's finish this conversation with Xavier Pastrano. When we first started chatting, and I know we've talked about this a little bit in the past, but the you've had some like cognitive dissonance growing up in a mixed household. How did that like impact you growing up? And like what kind of experience what does that experience kind of like influence the relationship you have with your son? Sure. Um, yeah, it was it was really interesting growing up like, you know, mixed, like and in the mixed household. Like I said, like my parents got divorced when I was five and so, like, my dad, like I said, he's from the Dominican, uh, lives in Puerto Rico. My mom is from Iowa. And so when he, when he, when they got divorced and he left, it's like, even when he was around, like, I never, I never fully experienced, like, the Dominican side, like, my, like, my Dominican heritage. Um, I never grew up speaking Spanish. I still don't know Spanish. I mean, aside from, like, you know, like, super small, like, common phrases and stuff, but I never learned how to speak Spanish. So, like, there are like family members who like well that I, I just I can't talk to you like cause, because there's that language barrier, um, but also his side of the family was also very distant, uh, and so there are I still have family members who like I have never met before, which is kind of mm. weird for some people, but for me it's like it's just kind of normal. Um, I think I met my grandpa like twice in my life, and then before he passed away, um, so that's and again for me that's like normal. Cause that's just like how I kind of grew up. But for other people, it's like, I couldn't imagine not, you know, knowing my grandparents on both sides and blah, blah, blah. And, um, but I would say the weirdest thing for me was I, the, I, it's, this is so weird, but it's like, so I'm, I'm, a, you know, biracial, I'm a mixed individual, but I grew up with a white mother. And so, you know, I, I never saw myself as different, but, certain people like outside of our family were so quick to point out that I was. And so it was like, mm. I mean, if this makes any sense, but it's like, I was like this like mixed race kid who is experiencing like white privilege at the same time. Yeah, so like, yeah. so that, which that I mean, think might be more common than you realize. <laughs> oh yeah. No, no. And I, I, and now it's like, yeah, I'm like making this realization. I'm like, Oh, I'm sure it is. And, but it's such a head trip because it's like, you know, I have like I had like in kindergarten was when I first experienced um, any kind of like uh, uh, like racial issues or racial tension, and um, you know I was like my mom was white, my most of my family was white, I had white friends, and it's totally you know like whatever. And then I remember asking a kid um, like he was playing house with some other kids, and I went up, I was like, oh hey, can I play house? And he said, we don't need no black kids in home living. Oh was, my god! And I was like, and I was like, what? Okay, and I'm like, and I just didn't like get it. So I was like, why? Like, I don't black kids. Like, what? Like, okay. And so <sighs> then it was something that, like that was like you know my mom like the teacher like talked to us about it and stuff like that and it was addressed and everything. But I just didn't get that like it just didn't make sense to me. It's like why does he not want me to play because of what I look like? That made like no sense. Um, and then I would go back to like you know experiencing like just like like you know privileged like opportunities and stuff um and so it was this weird kind of divide i guess for me um my dad and i weren't really super close i can kind of continue on with school and stuff like that it wasn't until um like college and like grad school is where more stuff kind of started like creeping in again um 
like these these differences uh, that like people would kind of bring up. Um, and even then, like, and then too, like another little like moment of, of weirdness was like when fourth grade, my teacher was like doing some kind of like census thing or something, and she had to get like student information. And um, she called me over to her desk, and she was like, "Oh, Xavier, okay, so like, what are you?" I was like, uh, what do you mean? She's like, well, what are you? And, and I was like, I'm in fourth grade, so I'm like eight or nine. I'm like, human? Like, I don't know what you're asking me. Like, <laughs> what do you mean, what am I? She's like, well, I what? am like, Xavier. Exactly. Thank you for, for asking. Much. Right? Yeah. And she's like, well, I mean, like, what skin color? And, and, and like, what race? And so then I was like, ah. And then she, you know, shows me the options. And I'm like, I had this like weird like little like little kid existential crisis. I'm like, I don't freaking know what I am. Like, I don't fit in any of any of those boxes. And and still to this day, I still kind of if there's not a box that says like other or like mixed race, I kind of have this like freak out. I'm like, God damn it! Like, make a box for me. <laughs> you know, like it's so frustrating. Um, and so that was weird. Like, just little moments like that. These little reminders that things you know were like different or that i was different i guess which is a good thing but at the time you know when you're a kid you, you want to fit in and there are things that just kind of made me stand out i guess that i just i hadn't really kind of i didn't really hadn't really grown into my skin yet i guess is what you could say um yeah and how did, uh how, or, so are you bringing up your son like taking like taking that like difference as like a this is a good thing yes like, most definitely um, that was a big thing. And my wife and I have talked about it and, and she knows too, it's like, we just the other night, you know, I was talking about how I just, I want, I, I mean, you never want your kids to like experience any, any kind of hurt. Um, we live in a world where unfortunately, like, I mean, as he gets older, he, he might encounter that. Um, and so it's like, I don't want him to, but you know, I do, I want him to, to know who he is and take pride in who he is. And like my wife and I have talked and she's like, you know, I, she's like, I wish I knew what that was like for you because I don't. And I'm like, I know. And it's not your fault. And, and, you know, it's just, it is kind of like what it is, but, um, she knows that, I mean, she's, you know, just like, like me, like we want him to be just happy and healthy. Um, but to also be aware that, you know, like there are people who are, who might say these things and stuff like that. And, um, but just to know that it's, you know, like whatever it's a bullshit like just be who you are love who you are you're an amazing person and it sounds cheesy but it's like that's how i was kind of raised and then it worked for me you know it's um you know if and two i think you know you need to like address those differences don't just like you know sugarcoat them or or or, or you know sweep them under the rug like if my you know if our family's out and my son is like you know pointing at a person he's two you know so he's like these kids they don't have filters they just say you know like what they see and stuff and if he sees a kid or a person like in a wheelchair is like pointing at them and like you know what's that he's like oh this person's in a wheelchair you know like and that's just you know we're all different and that's good like because we all have different stories to tell and stuff like i'm not going to be like you know oh shh, 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 don't don't look at that person and because then we're sending the completely wrong message we're sending the message that diversity is bad um, you know, these things need to be hidden and that's not the case at all. Um, so, but yeah, so that's, it's, my experiences have definitely affected how, you know, we want to raise our son and stuff like that. So. Good. Yeah. And like, just making sure that he knows that it's okay to be a little different in the world today. Exactly. Yeah. Having all these I mean, white kids running around. <laughs> Trust me, it annoys me. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's just, I, it was just weird. Like, that was the biggest thing for me is like, you know, 
like I remember talking to my mom about that, like filling out forms and stuff, and and like like I loved her to death, but like she didn't really like help the situation. Like I specifically remember her. <laughs> I'd be like, Mom, like, what do I put for this form? Like, what do I put for, like, my race? And she's like, well, I'm your mom. I'm white, so put white. I'm like, well, clearly I'm not. <laughs> like, I'm not yeah. just white. So I'm like, thank you for trying to make this easier for me. But it still doesn't make – it's not just, like, I can't do that. So, um, mm-hmm. but, yeah. And so now, like, I've been trying to – like, my dad and I are a little bit closer, and I am I have a better idea um, – of like that side of the family and like my Dominican heritage, like um, from when I graduated from UND, I wrote a part of my portfolio was a um, manuscript of poetry called Plumeria. And all the poems focused on um, what we're talking about right now, like having this like really rich historical and like, um, like ancestry, but never knowing about it, never being exposed to it. So like, there's like this loss of identity, um, and this kind of like yearning for that. So that's what all those poems are about. Dang. That's yeah. awesome. Thanks. Okay. Now let's wrap this up. Yeah. Um, it was a quick lightning round. I want to learn Perfect. a little bit about you in some random little ways. Perfect. Okay. Tell me your favorite color. Orange. Yes. You, I love you orange. You might know this by now. My favorite color of vinyl. Um, <laughs> uh, favorite food oh man uh, this is so weird but I love uh, uh, oh my gosh eggless egg salad <laughs> it sounds so what? stupid I know so my wife and I we went through this like we went this vegan experiment where yeah. we were gonna like we're gonna be vegan for a month and we did it for like five months because we loved it so much and we came across this eggless egg salad recipe and you basically use like Tofu, turmeric, celery, carrots, green onions, uh, huh. mustard. Oh my god! You put that like put that on a sandwich with like a little bit of hot sauce. God damn, so good. Damn, dude. <laughs> so. All right, now what is your weirdest hobby? Oh man, oh, weirdest thing that you're interested in. Um, hmm. Gosh, that's like I don't even know. That's like such a hard thing that like I don't even know the thing. Like I kind of I have like a small like comic book collection, so I okay. guess like that's kind of like like a little different. Um, okay. I don't know. When I was a kid, I used to collect my movie stubs, like movie tickets. I had right. like bags full of movie tickets. There you go. Like yeah. I still have all of my concert stubs. Yeah, yeah, right on. Yeah, uh, I don't know if I but I think my weirdest things. hobby is I'm obsessed with. Um, Mars. Oh, right on. That's Whenever cool. Whenever anything new about Mars comes out, okay, I uh, that is what <laughs> like I lose it. On. Oh, I got one. Okay, this is what it is, and my wife will attest to this. My weirdest hobby, or I would say like annoying hobby, is like film trivia. Okay. Like I am the kind of person where I will go and see a movie, and then immediately after I watch the movie. I am like reading up all the trivia that I can, like on IMDb about that movie, mm-hmm. and I'm reading news articles about the movie, and then that <laughs> that, inf- that information just like I I can't remember the Pythagorean theorem, but I can tell you like the year that Poltergeist was made, and like the weird little tricks that they used in the film to like <laughs> to like do That's what awesome. they did. It's just dumb. It just stays in my head. But I love film trivia. That's like, my weird hobby. There you go. Dang. All right. Cool. Yeah. Um. 
okay, so this was like a thing, uh, or it is a thing. AIM, AOL Instant Messenger, is closing down. Okay. <laughs> which is a big bummer. What was your first AIM screen name? Um, Base Kid X. Nice. <laughs> yes. Base Kid Love X. Love it. Yep. Base Kid <laughs> X. Yep, because I was slapping the bass. That was Mine me. was uh, another know it all 19. <laughs> Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> yep. Based God, off dude. of the Chevelle song. Oh, okay. Man. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that might not have been my very first one, but it's the one that I comes to my mind when I first think of it. All right. Um, so you talked about movies. What mm-hmm. is your like favorite movie like of all time and current? Uh, hands down, favorite movie of all time, number one on my list, will never be replaced, is The Royal Tenenbaums. Oh, okay. Um, yes, I absolutely adore that movie so much so that I have um, Richie, Margo, and Chaz tattooed on my leg. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> so I love Royal Tenenbaums, um, but uh, but yeah, I have like nerdy enough to have like a top ten um, like favorite films of like different genres and stuff too. But I used to so yeah. prior to collecting records, I used to collect movies. Oh, hey. And so that was like in my college, early grad school days. At one point, I had like around 500 DVDs, I think. Yeah, it was crazy. That's a bit. Yeah, and Do now I think a... I. No, go ahead. Oh, no, so now I think I whittled it down to like, I maybe own like 40. <laughs> okay, there you go. Yeah. Thanks to, you know, the advent of the internet. Exactly. Um,. <laughs> And Netflix and all that stuff. <laughs> what about currently? Is there like a movie you're enjoying currently? Um, it's or that you like saw right, recently. Yeah. Well, I saw it. I was very excited for that. Um, it's one of my favorite books, and so I was super pleased with the adaptation. I know I have some friends who love the book but hated the movie, so that was a really good one. Um, what else did I just see? Maybe that was the last one that I saw. I think that was the last one. I saw. Oh no, I went and saw Mother. Um, oh yeah, but Aronofsky and I love Darren Aronofsky. Like The Fountain is like one of my favorite films as well. And so nice. this uh, man, that movie was a freaking trip. I've um, heard. I haven't seen it yet. I love Aronofsky yeah. as well. Oh man, it was. You know, I can understand why people are going to hate it, and I I know it's going to be incredibly divisive. Um, but I thought it was fantastic. I I I can't. I mean, it's hard to say that you like. I liked the movie because it's like it's brutal and this it's it's not a movie that you would want to watch it more than once um yeah well that's most like, of his movies exactly yeah but like the message and um or the just like the, the themes and motifs and i thought it was just like just bananas i loved it i mean as a person who loves weird kind of crazy films like it's definitely an experience and one that i think you know should be seen in an experience so Same. um yeah but it's october now so like for me i've been i love halloween so i've been like on a huge horror kick like i use the month of october to celebrate halloween so nice yeah it's been watching a lot Uh, of horror movies cool i'm not a big (laughs) horror person i i know i'm in like a minority but i i'm not a big fan of scary stuff sure sure (laughs) and too like Uh, yeah like i like my wife is my wife's not either so i pretty much fly solo with with that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just like cartoons so much. <laughs> I watch right anime on. a lot. Oh, I know. I'm, I'm mostly just like, 
would prefer watching Futurama over anything else. Totally. <laughs> I say I'm a, I got into Bob's Burgers like a couple of years ago, and I freaking love Good. that. Although I have yet, and this might be like blaspheme, but like I have not seen an episode of Rick and Morty. Okay. And I hear that it's I hear it's like really good, and it's something I need that. to see. Okay, I'm not a fan of the internet culture behind it because okay. it's a bunch of toxic, shitty dudes. But hey, whatever. sure. <laughs> um, what's a what's a favorite book? Um, I would say like Catching the Rye. Okay, is my favorites. Yeah. Um, I also really love uh, the Perks of Being a Wallflower. Hmm. that book like i read that when i was like 16 and just like resonated with me a lot so tight yeah all right now i always end on music give me just give me an all-time favorite artist and maybe an album you're loving this year okay um all-time favorite artist gosh darn that might be a toss-up between i love i pretty much love everything that baroness puts out Mm-hmm. Love, love, love Baroness. Um, but I would also say, like, no doubt, just because, like, Tragic mm. Kingdom, um, Tragic Kingdom was the first CD I ever bought, and that was that was the album that got me into music. So I owe a lot to that you album. Are, you are the second person on this podcast to say that no doubt got them really? into music. Right yeah. on. Seriously. Sai Badupali of people like you said the same thing. Right on. Yeah, man, that album was, like... It freaking just like transformed me. I love it. It just it opened my eyes to so many different things. Um, currently, I'm trying to think here of like albums that have come out this year that I really like. Um, I've just been listening to the new Monolord album called Rust, mm-hmm. and that's been really impressive. I like that. Um, we talked a little bit about Zeal and Ardor. Mm-hmm. Um, that album is totally bananas and so weird, but like for me, it just it gels. It just works so well. It's such a dynamically weird and powerful album. Yes, <laughs> like, like just the, when I first heard, um, who was it? Well, my my buddies who owns a record store here in town uh, was like, Yo, Xavier, you gotta you gotta hear this. Um, you gotta hear this album. It's like, uh, what do you say? It's like like slave like spirituals with black metal. I was like, what the hell? Yeah. So then I was like, okay. He's like, I, he's like, I have two picture discs left, and so I hopped on the Bandcamp. So like, I just want to hear this first before I like, you know, spend money on this. This sounds like a friggin' train wreck. And I listened to um, "Come On Down," and I was like, oh my god, I yep. need this album. Um, but yeah, so I I think um, I have like a top ten list right now. I'm mean, I'm trying to like whittle things down, but like the new Haim album or Haim, excuse me, the new Haim album I really liked. Uh, uh, Mutoid Man. Manchester Orchestra, but mm-hmm. yeah, I'm a big fan of that Manchester Orchestra album. Hell yeah, so good. Okay, man. Well, that's all I got. Rad. Do you have uh, any parting words for folks, or any way folks can like follow you, or <laughs> sure. connect with you, or anything? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, like, yeah, I have the Instagram account, but it's kind of. I mean, all the stuff is still up there, but I'm just not gonna be posting stuff as much. So that was just stacks of wax. S-D-A-X-X of W-A-X-X. Um, and then, yeah, my band is called Skin of Our Teeth. So we have a Bandcamp page. Uh, it's just skinofourteeth.bandcamp.com. So you can, you know, check that out. There's music up there. You can stream it. We're in the process of, like, getting more merch up there. So, like, we have shirts and pins and stickers and all kinds of stuff. Um, 
But I'm trying to think, yeah, that's, that's like the only like, and then you know, I have Facebook and all that stuff too, but like, yeah, right. the band stuff and yeah, that's pretty much it. So, well, I'm going to put links uh, on the show notes so folks can connect with the music and yeah, it'll be easy peasy from there. Red, perfect. All right, man. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you, Craig. Appreciate it, man. All right. There you have it. We did it. Another episode is done. God, I love talking to Xavier. It was nice to just have a real chill chat. I know we didn't dig terribly deep into anything social justice either this week, but it was nice to just talk to someone about the power of poetry, the power of music, and how it kind of brings everything together. Really thankful for Xavier and his time and chatting with me. And um, we actually got in, there's a whole other like 15 minutes of us just talking about vinyl and music that I'm actually going to be releasing in a special uh, extra episode that'll come out later this week. So keep your eyes open for that. If you're interested in hearing us just talk about uh, what got Xavier into vinyl collecting, it's a whole pretty interesting conversation that we get to have. I just didn't feel like it fit this conversation completely, and I wanted to keep it pretty uh, controlled. So, if you liked what you heard from Skin of Our Teeth, go to skinofourteeth.bandcamp.com, order a CD, get yourself a digital copy, whatever works for you, however you ingest music. If you liked what you heard in the podcast, give us some follows on social media, at edupunkspod on Instagram and Twitter, Find us on Facebook. I'm putting out a bunch of information through the Facebook now. Uh, Leave us some reviews and rates on the Apple Podcast app. You can also find us on various other podcasting applications. And I'm trying to get us on even more. So, yeah, I think that's all I have for this week. Look out for that extra episode later in the week. And I hope you all have a great week yourself. I know it's been a really weird few weeks for all of us uh, in, in, in the country. So I want to just make sure that everyone's taking care of themselves. And uh, if you ever need anything, reach out. I'm at Craig Bidedman, C-R-I-G-B-I-D-I-D-M-A-N. That's how you can get a hold of me or uh, through my website, CraigBidedman.com, which is where some of you might have gotten this podcast. But that's what I got tonight. I'm going to leave you with some more tunes from Skin of Our Teeth, and I'll see you all later. Let's get to work. Bring